0: Western
1: good morning you're listening to outlook here on radio Western 949 here in London on a Monday morning good morning Brian
0: good morning I'm actually it's actually the afternoon but uh <laughs> it's the weird
1: Ta- time is elastic whatever
0: I know and this is now also a podcast our show I just always like to remind our listeners if you want to find us you can search for outlook on radio Western on all podcast services so that sort of makes time You know, it could be any time that you may be listening to this, but we still are doing this for the radio. So,
1: yeah, how often these days is it a podcast and a radio show? Because I feel like maybe some people don't expect that. (laughs) So, we like to have a bunch of options.
0: Right. I think it's becoming more and more common these days. So,
1: all right. Well, we, uh, for anybody who is newly listening or whatever, we are um, siblings and we talk about blindness and disability issues. Uh, subjects we feel need much more discussion than they currently get. Um, And today we are actually going to show you an old, I don't know, I guess it was just a couple weeks ago, uh, a panel from our recent National Canadian Federation of the Blind Convention.
0: Yeah, so if you caught the show last week, hopefully you did. If not, as I said, you can find us Outlook on Radio Western on podcast services, but Last week's show was a special edition, and it actually was a presentation from the recent convention, so we have another presentation on today's show. We figured, since the event ended up going so well, and we got so many so much great content, and we still do plan, potentially next week, I think, maybe, we'll do a an overview of the entire convention, an episode covering all of the different speakers and stuff. But we figured, instead of just doing the one to cram, to cram everything in one, we wanted to Play a full a few full presentations, just to give you an idea of what happened at the convention and, and the, the discussions that were uh, that took place. so:
1: yeah, we, I mean, we're trying to get them on YouTube on the YouTube channel, CFB, and like we had we were Facebook live on, on, at the convention, and we were on Zoom. so yeah, we just like to have lots of options and lots of yeah irons in the fire, as they say.
0: For sure, so there will be a, yeah, uh, we thought
1: we'd, we thought we'd feature some of these sessions.
0: Right, so just to give our listeners a bit of an idea, this is going to be about diversity and intersectionality, and we'll get into that a little bit more later on before we play the panel from the convention, but I guess we will start by talking a little bit about last week's episode, which was the 100-plus-year monopoly, CNIB monopoly, and... We're trying to share this one around because it, it brings up some very important issues that we deal with as blind Canadians that just don't get talked about enough, and a lot of people maybe aren't aware of what's going on behind the scenes. If you do a little bit more research, you might find out more. And I think this report, and in particular, the questions after asked by blind Canadians, there were seven questions on the radio last week that I aired, but... um. Actually, the podcast version goes a little bit longer and includes even more questions. Just because having actual blind Canadians chiming in on these issues, I think, is is important.
1: Yeah, and there was so many great questions. Like it almost felt like part of the presentation, but it wasn't planned. It wasn't, you know, it was just questions from our audience. Uh, But yeah, we 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 aired it last week, and uh, it's been in print. The report has been on our the CFB website for several months now, so. Finally, we got the 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 author of the report, Daryl, to present at our conference, uh, and so now we have a couple different versions, because some people prefer to listen to a podcast and have someone read it, and other people or present, and other people would prefer to read it uh, as a report. So there's a bunch of options, trying to get it out as many ways as possible so that as many people as possible will see this. But we have decided we are going to talk about these issues this year on Outlook, because They don't go away for us blind Canadians, and they are not easy to talk about. So, uh, you know, give us a, you know, give us a chance to. Again, I don't like to rant if I can help it.
0: Yeah, and um, we
1: get our point across better if we can.
0: That's one of the questions, actually. That or a comment more so that came up later on that wasn't on the radio version last week, but is on the podcast where right. one of the, um, actually a good friend of mine who isn't blind, but just, you know, he's a been a friend for a long time. Actually, the drummer in my, and the bands I've been in and stuff like that. He just commented on how this, this CNIB Monopoly stuff made him really angry and and stuff. And I, I did make a comment after that about just that, and, and Daryl knew where I was coming from, the whole idea that even though this stuff can make us angry, it's like, anger is not never the best way to deal with something cuz you're not thinking clearly and and then he also pointed out Daryl pointed out the ranting part about it where if you just sit there and rant about something and what the problems are with something then people aren't going to really take it as seriously as if if you talk calmly and explain your position realistically and logically and and uh, in a calm sort of manner and and really give it the the personal touch then people have a lot more it has a lot more effect than if you just spew a whole bunch of facts at someone without any emotion or any sort of personal stories or anything so it's it's an approach
1: it it's just hard because i get emotional when talking about this because it affects me personally
0: yeah so So. i I think before we talk a little bit more about this we're not going to devote this entire episode i would suggest going back and listening to the 100 plus year CNIB monopoly episode well, of yeah, you don't, you
1: don't need to just hear us talk about it that we could have done that before the report came out the point is right. that the report but I just was for, beautifully done and researched but and my point is just some opinion
0: right now just for this episode if you haven't heard last week we should give the listeners a bit of an idea of what we're actually talking about or else they just might yeah. be like what what do you guys well I know about? so that's
1: what I mean we are gonna have to get into it a little bit the
0: here. The, the main thing is that as Canadians and and Daryl, the author of this report, isn't isn't actually blind himself, but he has a couple of really great friends who are blind, who are members of the Canadian Federation of the Blind as well. And the frustration is just that CNIB has been around now for over a hundred years, and they've become looked at kind of or accepted by the general society, especially as the organization that takes care of Canada's blind, and everything's fine because well, I don't even know if I'd say that, but more so that. People might just think generally that, oh, the CNIB, they, they do a great job. They take care of blind people. That's great. And everything's fine. When really it's a deeper situation. And the real issue is that they've they've taken over this monop- monopoly s- sort of position where they're trying to sort of take control of all businesses in Canada and all products for blind people and all services for blind people. Um, a few of the points, just quick points were them starting starting up this guide dog program over the last couple years even though there are already uh, i think it's four i believe four guide dog schools already in canada that are already great and they've been doing it for years and years so for for a company like cnib and again we're not we're not saying that we want it to necessarily totally go away or we totally disagree with it but it's just you need some competition you need smaller businesses to be able to offer services and And with this Canadian Federation of the Blind, we're all blind people working together to make change. And a lot of these other decisions aren't made by blind people. And again, it's just, it's like any big, big organization that's been around for that long, it's gonna eventually sort of become, come down to money. And then they're trying to make things exclusive, like um, small businesses that, other businesses that want to sell products for blind people, certain companies like Humanware who make braille displays. I I think they were one of them. I don't want to, don't quote me on that. But these these major companies that are making exclusive deals with the CNIB. So then other businesses, like there was one at our convention, we'll get to more on our convention show later, called Canadian Assistive Technology from out west. And I was talking to the guy from there, and he feels he's scared because his business provides great services for blind people, but CNIB is taking exclusive, um, making exclusive connections with a lot of different companies, and then it 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 makes it more difficult for other businesses that want to want to get involved and help out blind people. And, and it, a lot of times it's other blind people who are trying to start their own businesses, giving service, providing services for the blind. And, you know, if, if, if more and more things are exclusive to CNIB and they're sort of tape, they have all the money and they have all this power and stuff, then it sort of, it threatens the existence of these, of these smaller companies that are trying to make a living. And, and also really more than that, trying to help out the, the blind people of Canada. So sorry that, that maybe came off as a little bit of a rant, but like we said, it's hard. It's hard not to rant, but I'm trying to point out just a few of the main issues being the guide dogs sort of affecting other guide dog schools in Canada by sort of trying to take over the market in that area now. And then, and then the, uh, the small other small businesses providing products for blind people, whether it be braille displays or computers or any sort of technology, accessible technology for blind people yeah so i don't know it's there's so many there's so many things
1: it's hard because like you said we're not advocating that we're just gonna throw them away because a lot of blind people in canada rely on them for certain things and we grew up with them uh but just because something's happened a certain way for a hundred years, that doesn't mean that, that it's necessarily how it should be for the next hundred. Yeah, it's And like, and I have some issue with charities in general, and I know that's sort of a over- oversimplification, but
0: But that's that's a big point too, is that the CNIB runs by this charity model still, which you and I actually just had a phone call recently and we were we were discussing this, that it just seems like a sort of an outdated method because it's there's also this thing with charities where a lot of things slip through the cracks because they're not closely monitored like like a lot of other actual like official businesses and stuff like that are. So, with a charity like this, you can sort of get away with that because you don't have to prove all your spendings and where all the money's going and and this kind of stuff. So, it just makes it a little murkier and a little more and I think one of the terms that Daryl brought up a lot in his report that you used as a hashtag, which I thought was a really good way of putting it was status quo. And I think that Mm. touches on what you kind of just said about the way things have been done for so long. People don't want to change things up a little bit or rock the boat or try different approaches. But when you look at other organizations like the NFB in the U S and that's just an example, there's so many other ones and there's other ones in Canada. You know, we, the Pacific Pacific training center for the blind out West that a blind person, Elizabeth Lalonde, is started up and she's really trying to build it. But at the, again, if, if the government is still tends to give the CNIB all this money, cause they think, Oh, they'll take care of blind people. Or it just sort of puts the responsibility off of the government to deal with any of this, where they want to have op- equal opportunities like Elizabeth for her training center for, to help blind people learn skills. Like she wants to be given, you know, just as much help as, as another organization. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate and it does it, it frustrates me. And you can hear from the, all the different blind Canadians who asked questions after that, there is this frustration in the blind community. It's not, it's not like it's just Mm -hmm. Carrie and I here saying this stuff, right?
1: No, just as we're not, you know, we're not going to speak. This isn't the outlook of every blind Canadian in Canada. It's not, it's easy for sighted Canadians to think that we're, we are being taken care of and we must be all good with the CNIB. And, and as Daryl points out in his report, and we point out all the time, this, is not, this isn't to go after any one person or people who work there.
0: No, it's, it's just like- that
1: it's getting bigger and bigger, and it's and blind Canadians, we're the reason it exists. We're, we're why they are a thing at all. But yet, it doesn't really feel like they're listening to us. And yeah. it doesn't feel like they they want to hear this. And it feels like even the media, again, I don't want to, I feel like in the days, in our days of COVID we're in, it feels like anytime I start saying the media is not wanting to cover this issue, it sounds like, you know, I'm becoming a conspiracy. Right. But no, there's a, I still think there's person.
0: a difference. I was actually thinking about this recently about the media compared to like, this might be a bit of a weird, a strange comparison, but like comparing the media to paparazzi where there's like, there's there's part of the media that's, that is covering like the actual news, like COVID and stuff that's that's real news. But then there is this sort of hyped yeah. up stuff that isn't always really looking into the, the real facts of things or isn't, you know, it's doing like, when it's like a quick statistic, like this percentage of people do this, like all that kind of stuff is very debatable and a lot of it isn't fully proven and who knows who they survey. I don't know. Those are just kind of a few random thoughts, but just, I don't know. We're not, again, yeah, we're not attacking. And again, it's also the fact that a lot of media just doesn't, isn't aware of this stuff because not, there aren't enough people talking about this. Not enough blind people are, are talking about this. And I, I get it. I mean, I haven't been into advocacy until I was got into my thirties here. So it's tough. And a good thing, at one point, our friend brought up from, from Ireland that I, I, I made me kind of think as, again, there's just, it's so different from just living life as a blind person compared to taking the time to advocate for blind people as a blind person. That's a whole other thing. And <laughs> it's 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 hard yeah. to do sometimes um, well
1: like you said we can all live our lives and in the best way we can and in that way in a, in a way that's advocating that's showing the world that blind people are not as different as you'd like to th- as you might think we are uh right but
0: <sighs> but then it starts to come down to these decisions that these big businesses like like the cnib or these big charities in their case i guess if you want to call it that um, mm-hmm. in in these, in these situations, it's almost like they don't look, they aren't looking as much at their consumers and sure there will be like surveys sent out and, and stuff like that. But it's like the people that they're serving aren't the ones that are sort of part of the process of decisions and stuff. They're kind of like, we'll inform you when what, ha- what's happening. And it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: instead of getting more blind people involved in, in the decisions and in the, in the board and on these things. And, And again, I don't, you know, there are some blind people who work for the CNIB, which is great. It's just, I don't know, it's still.
1: teach teach, I think our education system, I mean, maybe I took one or two classes in high school, ninth grade or something about civics type issues, but it's like, I was never taught to like politics at all. I was never taught that politics can be a good thing but once you get older as we have here with the CNIB and we realize that these monopolies and these charities and right it's all the government we would like to work directly with government and like like you said we we want the government to help people like Elizabeth who's blind and who wanted to start a training center out west because she saw what a what a, a benefit it was for in her own life that blind people can compete and can live equal lives with everyone else. We just need s- some specific training with a white cane, with a guide dog, with computer technology, any of those things that make make us able to, uh, you know, function in society alongside everyone else. And it's just not everybody gets those opportunities and depending on how you grow up. And and so we, we don't need a charity who will just, because their main audience is sighted people. They need right. to rate, they keep raising money and they have to do that by fundraising and they have to do that by having cute puppies in guide dog commercials and making blind people seem like we're we're not going to we're going to be so isolated if we can't get a guide dog from the CNIB new guide dog school and and I got a guide dog when I was 14 way before the CNIB ever had guide dog school right so it's not that simple and we I'm just sort of tired of being this pity pitied thing that's used to to raise a couple bucks
0: and it's tough because there's so many mixed everyone has a different experience and knows differently. Like people that are, are close to me or, or friends or something, it's hard for them to see this stuff often, or even just some some people naturally in society don't, you know, they don't look at things based on the commercials and stuff. They they are more aware or at least they're, it, it pretty much depends. You know, some people are just more empathetic and can sort of maybe look past these certain things. Whereas a lot of people are just quickly, you see a commercial on TV with a, uh, about a guide dog and then you see a cute puppy and you want to donate when really it's like you're donating to an organization that has millions and millions of dollars they're starting up a a guide dog program that is already offered at other schools in Canada all anyway that so why are we sending them millions of dollars to start something again that's already here for years and years that's already great when a lot of people aren't getting the proper skills from CNIB that they need and And a lot of the issue is in remote communities, you know, and that's not even something that's an easy solution, but if this organization has been around for over a hundred years and they're supposed to be this great organization helping out the blind, how come so many people, I feel like it's so different in Ontario and even Ontario, it's very spread out, obviously in the North and stuff. And there are a lot of communities that have these issues too, I'm sure, but we're just, we live in, you know, (laughs) close to bigger cities here. So we've never really had issues accessing certain services like that, but Out When you get out of Ontario, I think a lot of times the decisions do come up to the CNIB offices in those areas and they're more few and far between. And we've noticed, especially a lot of people out west and stuff, just seem like they have not gotten the help from CNIB at all that they need. And and I always like to reference back to my experience moving to Toronto when I moved there in June and I called for mobility and they said, oh, we might be able to get you some um, training in like three months. And I was like, I just moved here to this new city. I'm not sitting at home for the whole summer. So then I just had to, I went to my blind, my friend who was blind, Eric, and here we go again, the blind leading the blind, which is a totally normal thing. He got me out. He showed me around Toronto because he's lived there as a blind person. So who else would know better how to get around there than, than someone else who's blind, who's done this. So just so many. Let me ask,
1: let me ask any sighted listeners who's listening to the show today. If you hear us talk about that and you, you smile at the term blind leading the blind or a joke. Is, you may you kind of crack a joke in your own head right I get that we get it it's just if that's a surprise to you that that doesn't make sense to you blind the blind leading the blind in and, and these things like cane training then you then you are our audience for this show because we're trying to explain it to you that it actually makes logical sense for the blind blind to train other blind people and yeah you you couldn't wait for the CNIB in a city like Toronto to be able to spare someone to, you know, give you some tools to be able to get out in, in Toronto. So you had, you went to your friend who's blind and, and he, he's he been traveling by himself all his life. And so he, he knew about Toronto already and he, you know, he made made you realize that, you know, you didn't have to be held back by this, but yet not everybody is as lucky. So, look, we're not going to keep, we're not really going to stop talking about this.
0: Uh, no, it's going to, it's going to be coming up throughout it's the It's not going to.
1: This isn't going to go away. And so I'm sorry if people don't want to hear this message, and I'm sorry if it sounds harsh.
0: Well, but again, I don't think it. I don't. We thi-
1: really are frustrated, and we and we are kind of. And I kind of am wanting to say sorry, not sorry, because I
0: again well, here I, I want to watch yeah. my
1: words because I don't want to say anything on the show that's incorrect. Because you know, well, we're I not, want we're not to saying take,
0: anything that's incorrect.
1: No, that's what I mean. I want people to take it seriously, but really, you know, I couldn't have put that report together like Daryl did. We. Having allies is always a good thing if they have their best interests our best interests in their in at the top of their mind and and he clearly did, and he put so much time into it we were so honored to share it at the convention. We had such great reception and we won't give up putting this out there and getting people to listen at least listen all we want you to do is listen to what Daryl lays out in his report and then even send us an email if you want to. Tell us what you think. We'd like to hear it.
0: Yeah, that's we another have thing civil, we got.
1: Civilized conversations about this.
0: I was going to mention on the show here was our email outlook on at gmail.com. We haven't got too many emails to that address yet, so we're always wait. We're always looking for some. If you have any just oh, feedback on some. the show or suggest, take it easy over there. I know you're <laughs> worked up over this Cnib stuff. Well, you
1: didn't. But, I don't think you needed to point that out.
0: Well, too late. I did, and this is <laughs> live radio today. No edits. So yeah. Um, but yeah, just just send us an email if if you if you want. I I get it. I don't email a lot of radio shows either, so I understand it. But this isn't just you know, it's a, it's about so many different issues and so many things that we're trying to yeah. we're trying to get talked about more. So
1: we can't cram it all into half an hour, well, even an hour technically. And again, I want Daryl's report to speak for itself. We just like that he was able to present it so some people, you know, it's dry to read words for some people in reports. So sometimes it's nice to bring right. it to life like he did there at our convention. The report and so is... We're, we're pleased, yeah.
0: It's a, a little bit more detailed than the, the presentation. Well, not necessarily. Just it just has, has a bit more. It's a re, the report, right? So you yeah. can read the full thing at cfb.ca to read the full report or check out our podcast from last week, the CNIB Monopoly. If you, if you look for it on podcast services, you should be able to find it. So... We have about five minutes up until we get to the diversity panel. So what else did you want to talk about before we uh, play the panel from the convention?
1: Well, uh, should I talk a bit about the panel? or well, we have, I, did I said wanna, we
0: have about five minutes, so we don't have I time. I did want to,
1: yeah. No, I'm not going to say much. I'm going to let the panel, like Daryl's report, speak for itself in a way. But at the same point, I have a lot to say on the CNIB monopoly and on diversity
0: issues. Right, in and, the and blindness like you said before, None of these topics are going away, so we'll we'll talk no. about them throughout the year as well. But
1: yes, so uh, I didn't remember to mention it on the show last week, but uh, Thursday, which was May twentieth, uh, was GAD, <laughs> which is G A A D Global Accessibility Awareness Day.
0: More acronyms,
1: exactly, and more days of things, but. Uh, accessibility is something else we talk about a lot on the show. So I wanted to recognize that day. Well, it's in the rear view, view mirror again for another year, but accessibility is a daily thing for us. So, yeah, I got, uh, there's lots of stuff I could talk about. I'm so pumped about this new book I'm reading, Their Plant Eyes by Leona Good, Godin. Um,
0: who we had on our show, actually. She was on yeah. about a year ago now. I think it was last June.
1: It's crazy. Was it exactly it's, a year?
0: I think pretty much. Something yeah. like that. I'd have to check the exact date. But yeah, almost a year ago now. So yeah now she's has this book that she's a, about to officially release on June first, and we'll definitely mm-hmm. have her on in a few months to uh, to talk about it because I haven't read it yet, but you've been reading it, and you sounds like quite the quite the book about the history of cultural yeah. history of blindness
1: <laughs> It's very weighty stuff uh and again, everybody if you want to know more about these issues and you might say, Well, what does it have to do with me uh you know, look. Blindness is something that you could experience one day. And I don't say that to scare anybody. I say it because it's true uh, and because you would survive it and you, and you would be okay if you did. So we just wanted to explore a lot of these issues. So in Leona's book and in Daryl's report, these are just things that we want to have open discussions on and we want to have constructive discussions and we're willing to do that with anyone who is willing to be civil and have a intelligent debate or conversation about it. So these are all things that, again, it's not great to go on and on without having um, ideas for what to do. You know, so we're not just ranting about these things, but at the same point, that's
0: that's the start. Outlook. You got to at least start outlook. talking about them first, and then well, you
1: do, and, and this is our outlook, and, and the it's other the point outlook about we share with others. These uh, things others. is
0: there aren't easy answers, so. You're not going to come up with a solution right away, but the only way you're ever going to get to some sort of solutions is to start talking about it and having more people aware of what's actually happening. And we're also just trying to, we know uh, it's realistically that you're never going to get that, that deep fear from society about blindness because like anything, it is scary. Like if I were to lose my hearing, I mean, you know, I, I, that would be hard for me. So yeah. There's no, so, I don't I mean,
1: think I don't think we'll banish all that entirely, but if we just need to have more open dialogue and talk talk about it because
0: we're trying then to, it'll
1: it'll be less uh, you know obscure for people.
0: We're trying to make it less scary and make people try to try to I don't like I shouldn't say make people, that sounds that sounds demanding. We're trying to show people that it's not mm. necessarily that that scary scary darkness evil thing that sort of has been embedded in society, but uh Yeah, I think with that said. Yeah we should yeah. move on to this panel. So we're yeah. just going to let the panel take out the rest of the episode because it, uh, you, make, you did such a great job with this, Carrie. So I just wanted to say congrats. And it was very well received at the convention. So we'll go back to Carrie from the convention a few weeks ago and the panel she hosted about diversity and intersectionality.
1: Yeah, it's called in your own words, and it's three people on this panel who talk about all their their other intersectionalities and how they those intersect with their blindness and other things. So it was a great discussion. So looking forward to having people hear it. Welcome to this panel. This is diversity and intersectionality in their own words, mm-hmm. and just as uh, to be uh, clear about it, I am running this panel, and I am a white. Woman, Canadian woman with um, disabilities. And so I wanted to get this panel together to talk about a lot of times it's blind Canadians, you're a Canadian who's blind, you're a blind person, but what else are we? We're not just that. So I've assembled some panelists here today that I wanted to talk to this to about this subject. So first, I wanted to start um, by you guys telling us in your own words about who you are. So uh, we'll start with Sky. You want to just tell us about you, Sky?
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, hello, my name is Skye Uh I am 40 to- uh, years old from uh, North Sandwich, British Columbia, Canada. I was born uh, with a upper of prematurity, uh, which left me totally blind, uh, and uh, as well as a hearing impairment, as well as cerebral palsy, which right. affects my walking speed
1: okay walking speed yeah because yeah. uh, I mean like we're always talking about blindness and at this convention that's what we talk about but um, one of one uh, intersectionality is definitely uh, other disabilities so people mm-hmm. who are just blind may not under- may not uh, always understand what that might be like um, so mm-hmm. thanks for telling us about that Sky okay. Yeah, okay how about Ginny what would you say in your own words
4: Yeah, hello, and thanks for having me on this panel. Um, As Carrie mentioned, my name is Ginny. I am a 21-year-old university student. I'm currently studying to obtain my Bachelor of Arts with a major in Creative Writing, a History Minor, and a Journalism Certificate. I was born with a condition called bilateral mycophthalmia, So that's just when your eyes aren't as fully developed. So I have been left totally blind as a result of that. As well as blindness, I am also a part of the South Asian community. My parents were born in India and immigrated to Canada and I was born here. I am also part of the LGBT community. Outside of who I am, I also enjoy volunteering uh, for blindness organization and public speaking and doing advocacy.
1: Excellent. And uh, Victoria, the third on my panel?
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Victoria Francis. I am 35 years old, uh, completely blind, uh, due to retinopathy of prematurity, like Sky, and I identify as Indian Canadian. My parents immigrated uh, with my siblings and myself to Canada in 1992. So uh, after that, I have incorporated uh, being a proud Canadian in my identity. Uh, as an educational background, I uh, have training in uh, social work and psychology, and uh, for profession, I have worked in social work, uh, providing counseling to clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right now, I um, enjoy spending time with friends and family, and I am passionate about disability issues as, as a woman with a disability.
1: Very good. Yeah. And that's the thing, like we, we all have different degrees of these things and uh, we all come to it at different times in our lives. And so I wanted to have um, people from different sort of a bit of a different age group uh, because, you know, in, in these issues with uh, the, you know, what we're talking about today, there's, there can be racism, there can be sexism, there can be, you know, uh, ableism. So, you know, we all have sort of dealt with these at the different points in our lives. So, Sky, you were telling us about yourself, but um, for work, um, for what you do, you, you train other blind people on technology. Is that right? Correct. Right. So, um, with this, the three disabilities that you mentioned you have and the work you do with other students, what would you think people need to know about people like yourself and th- others who live with multiple disabilities?
3: Well, especially um, being deaf, um, um, you know, speak clearly, and uh, speak clearly is the main thing. Uh, speak clearly, because there's all kinds of degrees of deafness. Um, there's uh, loud, uh, moderate, uh, I forget, um, mine is moderate, loud to moderate in one ear and moderate to severe in the other ear. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's all types of uh, degrees of hearing loss, ranging from mild to moderate to severe, even to critical and profound, all the way to totally deaf. Right.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I've been accused of talking fast a lot of a lot of times, and you don't think about it until. Somebody as, like yourself mentions that and talking to you, uh, you are able to, you know, carry on conversations. It, it would be um, people might not know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And of course, like you said, when you're not, when you're meeting virtually, nobody would not really know about the cerebral palsy and in your, in your walking issues mm-hmm. that you do have.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, and even cerebral palsy, too. There's varying degrees from loud uh, to very severe. Even uh, it can affect your speech as well. So loud being can walk and talk, severe means You might be in a wheelchair and can talk okay, or you might have a speech uh, problem speaking and have to be in a wheelchair. Or sometimes you might have problems speaking as well as, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: you, know you might walk fine but also have problems speaking. So you never know which cerebral palsy you're going to end up with.
1: Right, and it must be must be quite tricky to know how to teach different people who are at different levels and with different, maybe some different disabilities thrown in there also. So, mm. it's great well, work that you do.
3: Well, it, um, would one say um, uh, it's difficult. the The hearing thing is definitely a thing. Mm-hmm.
1: So you have a you use hearing aids? Yeah. Plug into your um, correct. Everything is audio these days,
3: so yeah, correct and. Correct. Right here. it's um, yeah, I wear hearing aids, um, mm. and it's all digital. Right, exactly. And I, I, I got a Bluetooth device which uh, uh, connects into my phone that I mm-hmm. use with the hearing aids when I go out there, when I go traveling. I use right. a Bluetooth device that that clicks on my color, and um, the phone for my hearing aid goes into my ears. Um. Mm-hmm. As far as uh, Bluetooth and hearing aids on the computer, I don't use Bluetooth on the hearing aid on the computer simply because um, when I use the screen reader, there's a lag and delay between when I hit the key and when the screen reader talks to me via Bluetooth. Yeah.
1: So, Victoria... What has your work in social work these last years taught you, um, being, like you said, a woman of different intersectionalities? Um, what has it taught you about diversity as far as working here in Canada and being Canadian, as you said?
2: Yeah, well, uh, th- that's a great question. Uh, thank you for asking. So I l- have learned not to judge a book by its cover. And what I mean by that is uh, there could be Uh, more reasons than what initially meets the eye when somebody makes life decisions for themselves. Uh, Before I undertook my study in psychology and social work, uh, I was a pretty black and white thinker. So I used to um, often, uh, you know, I'm ashamed to even admit this now, but I used to judge, um, I used to be pretty judgmental about blind people uh, and, you know, I used to wonder uh, why they, they chose not to work or uh, I, I used to wonder why um, people who are blind and otherwise seemingly healthy to me uh, chose or or not even chose, but why they weren't uh, doing the things I thought they should be doing. But I've mm-hmm. learned, uh, you know, that there could be many reasons why someone might be unemployed as just one issue, for example. Um, you know, if somebody is blind and that's their visible disability but if they've got um, chronic health issues or uh, some other invisible disability like pain or an autoimmune disorder or anything um, you know they might be unable to work or unable to live a life as as we might uh, traditionally think they should live so I've I've learned not to judge people and uh, to try and understand that if someone does something in their life it's uh, often they have good reasons for doing it. Well,
1: wow, that's great that you were able to come to that sort of realization. You know what what you used to think, and that you've evolved with that. And of course, that's the thing that they think that people think. Well, we're blind, so you know we can't have um, prejudgments on others, and we can't have prejudices in a, in, a, in our community as blind people. And and just that's not true. I mean, people you know the people have these. Prejudices for all kinds of reasons, and luckily, a lot of people learn from that, as you say.
2: Yes, so. Th- absolutely.
1: So, so Jenny, uh, what you you said you're you're studying literature, and you're big into the, all that. So, what what do you think art and literature can do to bridge gaps in the marginalized communities themselves, like from multiple disabilities or from you know LGBTQ to not?
4: Yeah, I think I think uh, we've we've seen this a lot. You know, if you look at classic literature, and if you look at books, that's what they've been doing. Taking a look at uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, for example, that book became a it's it's a huge classical um, literary text that we you know as as a, as a younger student, I definitely studied in school, and it's not just the story; it's it's talking about the culture back in the time uh, that the book took place. And I think many books are all, all, and art pieces are definitely doing that. But I think, you know, uh, providing a space for authors who are from diverse backgrounds will, will allow that to further happen. And I know that sometimes there's been uh, controversies that, books don't have um, proper representation. And I think working on that as well, having sensitivity readers, making sure that they are required for, for authors to have to ask questions to, making sure that the authors um, who are writing those books know about marginalized communities. So they're not just writing people as stereotypical uh, it within their works. And I feel like I feel like when you're using art and literature to get, to bridge the gap, it's not as intimidating. I know like for, for me, when I'm confronted with a bunch of facts or someone just telling me all this information, I just can't take it in as well because it kind of feels a lecture style in a way. And I feel like with art and literature, it's coupled with entertainment and it's coupled with interpretation as well and it's not just cut and dry fact. It, it allows the reader or the person looking at the art to enter that world for a little bit and to actually get a more tangible sense of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and definitely I'm seeing a lot more uh, museums and things making their exhibits a lot more multifaceted with different um, sensory so that they kind of, bring up, bridging that gap and bringing people into it that's great
4: mm-hmm.
1: so panel um maybe tell us about which of your intersectionalities you maybe struggled most with life because we've talked to certain people since like black lives matter started up again and stuff and some in the u.s and and some of them talk about being blind or being person of color that they they must have been the community they grew up in, but their blindness was much more of an issue than than the color of their skin. But like we want to talk to everybody to find out people's different experiences. That's why, you know, it's good to speak to a wide variety of people. But um, I guess, Skye, if we started with you, you sort of already mentioned that, you know, as far as your hearing impairment, that people don't realize how they have to talk. Would you say, is that what most affects you or...
3: Yeah, the hearing the hearing loss is definitely the one that affects me, and um, cause. Um, number one, if you run into a situation where folks uh, don't know that you have a hearing impairment, it can be very difficult, you know, uh, for them to know, you know, how to talk to you, unless you run into someone that has experience with um. Duafness before, which um, fortunately in my life, I've run into folks who know about how to deal with folks who have human impairment. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Well, how about, how about you, uh, Victoria? So for me, uh, interestingly, it's uh, not the blindness, but it uh, was a challenge growing up as a woman of color or a brown woman. Uh, like Jenny, I am also Indian. Uh, My parents lived in Qatar uh, when, and I was born there and we immigrated from there here, but I am Indian by ethnicity. And sometimes I find, or often I find, uh, I found growing up and I find even now that when people hear my name, you know, Victoria Francis, they're like, oh, is that your real name? And (laughs) they'll ask me things like, you know, that. And I say, yes, it's my real name. Oh, how is that? Uh, people will ask. And I'll have to explain, well, you know, my family grew up in a Christian region and things like that. And it, it can, frankly, get uh, pretty exhausting. I try to be patient about it uh, the best I can. But I mean, uh, yes, this is my real name. And uh, I'm Christian. That's also a part of my identity. And, uh, mm. you know, also Indian at the same time. So I guess, and the the other thing um, people asked me growing up and still now is, uh, oh, how can English be your only language, you know, I, I do realize that I speak with an accent, and that leads people to believe that I may speak another language, but I do not. I just speak English. Uh, we grew up in, in a household of uh, English, English only, uh, and that's just hard for people to believe, but I guess uh, just all the assumptions. And I, although blindness is definitely a part of my identity, the part of uh, I struggle most uh, with the being a, a woman of color and being asked all
4: these questions,
1: yeah, there's definitely always questions. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ginny?
4: Yeah, so I would say I do struggle with all three, like Victoria. Like people have asked me, "Is Ginny a real name?" And for me, actually, it feels. Feels weird when I when I say no because Jenny is my nickname. My real name is Hard Gender, and I feel like I'm proving the stereotype. And you know, like even I have people who, uh, in, uh, around the world and in my circle of friends, who don't support LGBT. But I actually, for me, blindness is the most challenging of them all, and I feel like that's because LGBT. If I'm going around, I can keep that invisible. That is not something that is evident when you're looking at some actually let me take that back it (laughs) always cannot be as evident when you're looking at someone depending what part of that you identify uh with right um and south asian yes like people are able to tell that i am a uh, woman of color but i feel like Racism and LGBT and all those things are talked about a lot. I'm not saying they sh- they shouldn't be talked about, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be talked about more, but I feel like disability is often ignored. Uh, for me in the classroom, we'll, we'll always talk about LGBT. We'll always talk about people of color, but disability hardly comes up. So for me, I know if I have a racial experience or if I have a LGBT experience, if I post about it, many people will talk about it. But I feel like a blindness thing, it's just less common and less talked about. And if I post about it, the world is always divided about it.
1: Right. There, yeah, there's always like one side or the other on a lot of issues. And uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know much about the LGBTQ side of it. So I'm glad we could have you on the panel. Uh, I know you're um, mm-hmm. you are taught very outgoing about all of that. So I've learned a lot from you so far. Um Thank so, you. so what about about Canada being considered in the out in the world such a multicultural country? um, like you said, it's mostly for you. you find like disability doesn't get talked about enough what What do you think about that sky? Do you think disability gets enough um understanding
3: hmm. well, <clears throat> what I can say for certainty, disability does you know. Tend to be overlooked from time to time. Like, uh, for mm-hmm. instance, um, uh, sing like recall in my high school days, and um, I for a while was in the mainstream. But then my aide had to leave the school to go work with someone else, and um, and what happened was I was with an aide that knew nothing about blindness, knew nothing about
4: uh, mm-hmm.
3: you know, hearing loss and all that, and. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was a bit of a struggle. Well, not a struggle, but it was um, it's very hard being in a segregated environment in the school, in the resource room. And I'd go out and do trips like coffee and Tin Hortons and, and go and swimming and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, bowling and doing recycling. And they wouldn't let me in the music program, even though they clearly heard my piano playing. Right. Well, I was going to ask
1: everybody uh, the theme of this convention is choices and goals. And I was going to ask Skye, what choice do you think uh, was big in your life that sort of made you, um, brought you to where you are now? Would you say well, it involved well, your piano playing?
3: Well, on um, well, I think uh, I've had a loving and supportive family. Mm. Uh, remember, I'm adopted. So I had a right. supportive, and loving family who gave me. Um, you know what I wanted and stuff, and then um, yeah, my music and um, just really enjoying, uh just really enjoying life. And I was so hardworking, persistent. Right. And, yeah. Um, you have all of that. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I left high school, and went to university, I wasn't sure if I could cope with being in the mainstream again. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if I could cope with mm-hmm. with it. Um, uh, You know, the funny thing is, when I went to apply for university or when I got into university for uh, an organization called the Steps Forward Organization, which puts people with disabilities in the university, um, mm-hmm. what happened was um, we had lots of fights. Uh, my dad advocated and they said, no, he wouldn't be. Go at university. He'd been lot better off in a day program. And I actually remember that summer when I graduated from school, I had an aide that went with me to the day program on tandem bike. And oh, I, mean, I remember um, they actually heard my piano playing, the guys at uh, the day program. And one of the workers, um, when he heard my piano, and um, he said, you do... A really good job sky i don't think you need to come to our program you'd be much better off going to somewhere like university
1: right awesome well we've heard you play before um on our podcast outlook and you're great and and for great. cfb events so lovely
3: oh my pleasure
1: thanks so um victoria what kind of choice sort of would you say is maybe stood out in your life that's brought you to where you are or maybe also or if you want to say a goal that you have that that you're aiming for
2: yeah so uh could I tell you one of each Gary sure okay so uh the choice or the main choice I think that uh brought me to where I am um living the life that I I'm happy with is Mm um I think the choice to meet or exceed uh the expectations that I set for myself. Uh, As a blind person, um, my parents uh, brought me to this country. Uh, I I was a child then, but uh, the the expectation was that I would hopefully live a quality life, uh, which I wouldn't have been able to do back in Qatar because of the lack of resources for Mm. uh, training blind people, you know, in things like life skills. And I I don't think uh, blind people had the opportunity to uh, attend college or university uh, back in, in uh, India or Qatar. So,
4: uh,
2: the, yeah, my uh, my choice was to, uh, to set expectations for myself and to, to try and meet or exceed them. Uh, and the goal that I have for myself, particularly for this year, I'm choosing to focus on is becoming a more independent traveler. So orientation and mobility has been a challenge for me throughout my life. And uh, there could be, a few reasons for that, but I didn't start to get training until later. And I, um, as a result, I, I didn't develop certain key concepts that I, I should have and that I would have liked to, like spatial awareness and uh, things like that, actually primarily spatial awareness. Mm-hmm. So my conscious goal for this year is to expand my horizons when it comes to traveling independently.
1: Great. Yeah, that's one of my goals always also do. Um, how about you, Ginny? A choice that maybe made you who you are as far as your intersectionalities or um or a goal you have for your like we yeah, were saying, current future with both. COVID.
4: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so a choice that I made that really impacted me was well, so first um I was very sheltered as a child. I didn't Really see a lot of other blind kids except for once a year at summer camp. But mm-hmm. then I was introduced to a nonprofit um, uh, called Blind Beginnings. And when I first joined, I remember looking at all the blind people and they were just doing things so independently and talking to one another. And it was super intimidating. Um, but after joining and after uh, walking alongside them for Wow. uh, I guess, I don't know how long it's been, but since 2014, I've definitely become a more confident person. And I think um, it's their no limits philosophy. So often when you have a disability, um, like blindness, um, society decides your limits for you based on what they think you can and cannot do. And we believe that you should be the one deciding your own limits. And so we call it our no limits philosophy. As for a goal I have, um, I know blind people, I know South Asian people, and I know people who are a part of the LGBT community, but I want to know more people who are like me and who uh, cross over in civil sectors. Um, when I go to blindness events, I often feel like I'm one of the only South Asian people there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know that many South Asian uh, blind people unfortunately, or that many LGBT blind people, unfortunately, or of all three. So I think my goal is definitely to find some crossovers and uh, try to make connections as best I can.
1: Awesome. Yeah, as people will notice, we're doing this uh, segment for the convention as almost like a podcast format. It's just audio. And we figured just because we can't see each other and how Zoom looks and doing it independently, we just thought, I'll oh, forget that. But we are going to be coming up here for questions live, so that's good. But uh, I often think, thanks, everybody, for joining me. I'm going to kind of wrap up. I just I wanted to just say that I often think that, as we say, d- disability does get mentioned sort of low on the list of minorities. <laughs> um, but if everybody's feeling a bit disconnected and and small, I think um, one thought that I had is that the more of us in marginalized communities who sort of join together as we find each other's differences and learn about each other, um, but if we join together, then you feel a little, you know, you feel like not so small. So you have more power in in numbers sort of that way. So that's what I was thinking, but I did want to end by asking uh, the panelists. Thanks again, everybody. Um, I wanted to ask you, so I have a friend who often talking about society and what they understand about different minorities. But she, uh, she says that to her ancestors and to her black and brown sisters and brothers, she says that finding joy is an act of resistance. And I always like that thought. So maybe we'll end with everybody just quickly. Let me, give me an idea of what brings you joy. Um, Something that brings you joy. Start with you, Sky.
3: Well, what, what, What brings me joy is uh, playing the music and also recording it hmm. as well and teaching, too.
1: Teaching, right.
3: Yeah,
1: Exactly. And yeah, you do, you do great things with all of that. So that's great. Uh, how about you, Victoria?
3: What brings
2: me joy is uh, making new friendships. I really enjoy getting to meet and, and talk to people.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's always great. Yeah, well, we're discovering that the last few years, all of us, I think. And how about you, Jenny?
4: I think what brings me joy, and this might be a little confrontative, but is to remember how much progress we have made. And that isn't to say that we should stop advocating and that things don't need to be fixed and that there are things that we can iron out. But I think remembering that we're in 2021 and look how far we came, like, we're, I'm in a university, uh, you know, in the back in the day, people with disabilities weren't even allowed to do, do that. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we're allowed to ha- have some sort of autonomy. We can walk out into the street and, and walk wherever we want to go. And I think sometimes, you know, we're so caught up in, in trying to advocate and not that that's a bad thing, but that we forget mm-hmm. all that we do have already. as as time has gone on. And I think it's important to recognize it sometimes.
1: I agree. Sounds like a good place to end it, guys. Awesome. Thanks for coming today and speaking on all of these different things that make up who you are. Thank you for having
3: me,
2: Carrie.
0: Thank Thank you for having me. Yeah,
4: thank you, Carrie. Yeah,
0: thank you. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB and on Facebook, facebook Facebook.com/slash Outlook on Radio Western.